0: Hey y'all, thank you for tuning into Women Birders Happy Hour. My name is Hannah. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone that enjoys a good drink after a long day of birding. Women have been integral to birding since it started, but we haven't always been recognized for the contributions and impact we have. Men have dominated the guiding scene, festival circuit, leadership positions, and publications. And according to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service 2011 report, In the U.S., there were over 47 million birders. The majority of these birders are college-educated, they are white, they are women, and mostly are over the age of 55. And if you put all these factors together, we create the typical birder, a white, college-educated woman over the age of 55. And that's a demographic that I often see out birding, but I don't as frequently see as a speaker, a guide, or a sole publisher. Additionally, the voices of all women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ birders are not well represented in the birding voices we hear from. So I created this show to bring in more voices. Not to say that some of the regular festival keynotes aren't great, but there is room for others. And on this show, I'm asking everyday women from all walks of life to join me to discuss their experiences, their resources, and advice that they have for others. And I want you to remember that just because you may not have experienced some of these things, like sexism or gatekeeping, doesn't mean that they aren't real issues that others face. And because some of these conversations are best had over a cocktail or a mocktail, I also create a unique cocktail for each guest in case you want to mix yourself a drink and join us for this chat. Okay, so to kick this off, I want to tell you all about a book that I just started reading called Woman Watching, Louise de Caroline Lawrence and the Songbirds of Pimmonsi Bay by Marilyn Simmons. It's just a really amazing story about an incredible woman who's so inspirational. I find myself laughing and smiling as I read about the fascinating life that she led. So if you're a reader, I definitely recommend it. Isn't it incredible how many passionate wildlife viewers there are? They're just literally everywhere doing all kinds of cool things. And Lottie is one of these amazing people, and she has worked all over the UK with birds. She told me about an amazing thing called the Waiter Spectacular. So I kind of broke away from the normal cocktail theme to create something special for this natural phenomenon. So you might be asking yourself, what is the Waiter Spectacular? (laughs) It's a rare chance to see wading birds in the hundreds and thousands literally being pushed off the mudflats by a fast incoming tide. They take off in one great movement of swarming birds, only to settle a little further along the mudflat, and then only for that to happen again and again until they move to a sandbank to escape the water. At which point they loaf until the tide recedes enough so they can go back to feeding on the mudflats. So this takes place on the east coast of the UK in a town, which I'll probably mispronounce, Um, I'm going to say Sneddasham, at an RSPB site, which is on the coast from Norfolk at high tide. So most of these species are knots, or as we call them in the US, red knots. This incredibly important habitat also attracts a number of other waders, like dunlin and oyster catchers. And these spectaculars don't happen every day. They're special circumstances that cause them like a spring tide occurring in the daytime during migration. So here's how you're going to make your waiter spectacular. What you'll need is one and a half shots of gin, a shot of espresso, a splash of cream, and a splash of simple syrup and ice. So uh, to make it, make your espresso and chill it in, in a fridge until it's ice cold. Add all the ingredients to a shaker. Shake, shake, shake. And strain into a coffee cup with fresh ice. So it's a fairly simple cocktail that really pays homage to the English's long history with gin uh, but with something to perk you up for a morning or evening waiter spectacular. I suppose you could drink it hot or cold however cold is the preferred method. So grab a glass and enjoy learning more about Lottie. Well, Lottie, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Women Birders Happy Hour. Would you please tell everyone who you are?
1: Um, So I'm Lottie, um, I am based in Mid Wales in the UK. Um, I work for Montgomeryshire Wildlife Trust, um, so um, here in the UK we have um, the Royal Society of Wildlife Trust, and then we have like 46 like regions around the country, so I'm one in the middle of Wales, working as sort of like community engagement officer um, within um, mid-Wales. Is that where you're originally from? Um, so I'm originally from England, but only just over the border, so I'm only like an hour away from where I grew up, but I've moved around a lot in the past few years with Jobs and uni and things like that. So, tell
0: us your birding origin story.
1: Okay, so I studied zoology at the University of Leeds. And whilst I was at university, I decided to do um, a placement year. Um, And so I ended up going to um, the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust, which is another environmental organization we have over here um, in Scotland at a place called Calavrock, And I kind of went there um, having a bit of knowledge of birds but not too much sort of just what my kind of grandpa taught me when I was younger and um you know what I've learned my family because my family have always been very much like nature and wildlife orientated and outdoors um but yeah so it kind of started there really so I remember literally my second or third day of being there um I was like uh I basically said why are all the mallards uh female and then they explained to me about how you know ducks go through eclipse plumages and I just didn't have a clue I was like absolutely mind blown and it kind of started there really there was a, a, one of my colleagues I was with and one of the volunteers on the day and they were just great and so throughout that year my knowledge of birds just developed and I was just absolutely fascinated and that was coming up five years now so kind of five years I've been um into birding so that's my main interest really with wildlife is birds. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool to hear how you
0: got started with it. Um, So when you go
1: out go birding, what does a day of birding look like for you? Um, It varies quite a lot. Sometimes I will literally just go out for a walk without my binoculars and I'll still be watching all the birds. Other days I go out for a walk with my binoculars and because they're quite heavy sometimes. So sometimes I like if I'm going on a big walk, I don't always necessarily take them Yeah, if I am going out. Um, Sometimes I take them, um, you know, just on a general stroll in the local area or, you know, when I'm out and about. And then other times there'll be days where I will go out like with my scope, my back and my rucksack ready for a day of burden on like a reserve. And I like to, especially if I'm visiting other places, I like to visit like well-known reserves in the area. So it does vary quite a lot, really. Um, Usually drag my boyfriend along with me and he's, um, I bought him a pair of binoculars last summer. So he's very happy that he doesn't have to stand there anymore um, looking a bit um, like not an idiot, but looking a bit clueless (laughs) at least now he can see the birds I'm telling him about oh so you're secretly making him a birder then too yes (laughs) trying to
0: (laughs) so who or what do you think has been the most influential thing in your birding
1: um it changes a lot so as I said I'd say to begin with, it was definitely like my colleagues um, when I was with the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust. So one of my colleagues there, Steve, he um, he was just great, and I used to go out most days. It wasn't bad for placement year. I used to spend most of my days just bird watching because we would try and count all the birds and see what was around so we could tell the visitors. So it was great. I absolutely loved it. And he's like we, I used to go on days out with him in the in Southwest Scotland um going um burden so you know he's been quite influential and like you know especially the origin of my burden um but a lot of the time it just tends to be colleagues and people around me wherever i am so i've i've lived all over the country really um i've lived in kent i've lived in surrey i've lived in norfolk um so it kind of just depends where i am at the time and it, it does often tend to be colleagues and again like i said people i meet through work really they've all been um really helpful and really inspiring and you know because um, i've lived in different habitats and worked in different habitats as well so every time i move i have to learn like a whole new different like group of birds really so what's
0: been your favorite place to live or i guess habitat that you've been living around
1: Um, Norfolk definitely so I um, lived in Norfolk and I that was last summer and I worked there for four months working basically just bird watching on the beach working with little terns and other beach nesting birds so I just got to sit on the beach bird watching every day so that wasn't too bad and um, here in the UK Norfolk's a pretty good spot for wildlife in general but especially birding because it's on the east so you get quite a lot of the birds coming over from Europe so you get quite a lot of rarities so I had a chance to see a lot of um, birds in the local area Area that were quite you know rare to the UK um so quite a few ticks for me but I, I'm not too much of a ticker. <laughs> so is that where you get Atlantic puffins over there? That is more the west coast um where actually this summer um so there's a place in Wales called Skomer Island which is one of the best places to see puffins in the UK and I'm going to spend a week volunteering on there in July so hopefully I'll see lots of puffins. That sounds amazing I'd love to go
0: see that and do that too wow I'm jealous so what's it like
1: to be a woman birder in your area um so where I'm living right now I've only been a th- whilst well, here like eight months so I'm still kind of getting to know the area but and getting to know people but you know in the UK in general where I've lived and everything it's um around the UK it's definitely been mainly men um in the area and obviously um as well tends to be older like not always just men but it tends to be elderly and retired people as well but often just men um so yeah it's been it's been interesting so i remember there was one time i went again when i was in norfolk because i did do a lot of birding when i was there i'd go to places and i'd be one the only young person really there and one the only um, like females there. there were like a few other women um Around, but it was um, quite a lot of the time. Yeah, there was only a few of us there. So yeah, it's not been um, too bad though. um, Really, all the men have been like really helpful, and you know, I've I've met some really good people where I am now. Um, There's a um, the local bird recorder um, for this area. He's been great, and he's full of knowledge. And you know, um, there's local lots of local um, birders in the area. It's just trying to get out, find the time to meet them. Sure. Yeah. So, what advice would you have for other women birders? So this is something I actually put out on Twitter about a year ago, a bit more maybe. So I was still wanting to like, you know, develop my knowledge and that, and I'd approached um, a local Facebook group. Um, This was when I was living in Cheshire. I told you I've lived everywhere. (laughs) Um, When I was living in Cheshire, which is kind of the Northwest of the UK. um, So I put out on Facebook, you know, could anyone, does anyone want to go out with me? I just want, you know, just sort of a bit of, um, you know, experience and, you know, just to learn more and um this man offered and i suddenly went through a bit of a panic being like oh my god i'm going out birding with a man on my own like you know i felt a bit worried and i knew it probably can be completely fine so i did put a bit out on twitter asking people like women birders for advice and everyone was really helpful sort of being like just let your boyfriend know who you are and even you know maybe try and meet the guy beforehand and everything and with someone um could be an idea so yeah it's just about making sure you feel safe so like my boyfriend knew exactly where I was I was only down the road I had my phone on me at all times but it wasn't an issue at all but it's just one of those things that you know as a woman you know not just in birding anywhere really if you're going somewhere on your own especially with another man you don't know it can be quite scary um so yeah for um, women birders I'd say just get out there but obviously make sure you're doing it safely and make sure someone knows where you are and try and find other women birders. So there's um, so I'm on the border of England and Wales and just over the border, there is a Facebook group of women um, birders in the area. So I really do need to get in contact with them and go out with them, really, because it is, you know, being out with like minded people. But it is nice being surrounded by other women as well and not just um, men all the time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I totally agree. That's, that's really cool that there's a a group of women birders there that you can get in touch with. I, I think that's something that, um, I know, uh, that's something that a lot of people can really, you know, grow in is having those connections with folks that they feel most comfortable with, um, being around. Uh, so how do you feel that we can be more supportive of beginner birders?
1: Um, I I think one thing that a lot of people that aren't necessarily birders are just coming into the birding like community, uh, which I kind of felt a bit when I started out was there's definitely feel like this like like elitist group of people who think they know everything and you know, it kind of feels like that. I don't think birders are necessarily like that but I think when you start off and you you know you you can't even you know you don't even know that uh, how to ID your standard garden birds and like these people have been all over the world birding and they've seen you know 350 birds in the UK it's really overwhelming so I think you know um just starting out just with simple things like you know your garden birds and I think that is really important just starting out with the basics and you know it's not important having the best binoculars in the world you know over here um there's the rspb and they have a really good brand of binoculars you can get for like 60 70 quid you know so they're pretty decent binoculars you know you don't have to go get the i can't say it the swarovski ones they're really posh ones that loads of birders have over here i don't know if they do over with you guys um But yeah, um, it's really just about um, getting out and meeting like-minded people. And I think here in the UK, um, we're quite lucky. Um, The BTO, the British Trust of Ornithology, are really, really helpful, especially for younger people. They have like a youth program going on. Um, And there's a lot of online talks as well, especially over COVID that could help you, you know, with ID. Um, So yeah, I think definitely we need, like the birding community is quite open, but I think we could be even more open, especially, you know, to people of different, you know, of like different, different groups of people, like, um, you know, um, like people with different mobility issues, you know, quite a lot of reserves over here are quite accessible, but that is really important. You know, even thinking about things um, like in hides, if you go into a hide, a lot of the time, it's at the height for you to look out standing up, but you need to think, you know, about, keep, you know, having windows or, you know, lookout out bits are lower so people in wheelchairs or, you know, children can look out as well.
0: Do most RSPB... Um
1: sites have uh, blinds? Um, I think so. Um, I've visited a few. Um, i trying to think now. Yes, I'd say so. Um, there is the odd reserve that is like there's not necessarily a visitor centre, but a lot of them do have visitor centres and do have that sort of accessibility, um, really, and boardwalks and things like that. So I think it's just making it accessible to everyone um, as possible in the birding community. Yeah, we um we went to
0: Scandinavia a couple years ago, and birded around Sweden, and I just couldn't believe how many like blinds and like really nice sites there were. Um, in the Mm -hmm. U.S., you know, our sites really vary from good quality to just really poor quality, and there's Mm -hmm. not always a whole lot of services um for birders, Mm -hmm. and it's usually just like kind of a like a park a general park so I think it's yeah. really cool that in the UK you know how in in uh, Scandinavia how much they've embraced like all the amenities that birders could potentially want in a site
1: yeah yeah definitely got that here in the UK as well like you know same with um the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust and some of the wildlife trust reserves you know when they've got that visitor center it's really handy just being able to talk to someone you know if you are coming in whether you're an expert birder and wanting to know where this rare bird is or whether you're someone that's just starting out bird and you want an advice on your local places to go um what you're going to see on the site um you know maybe a good id book and a pair of binoculars i think you know that is really really helpful i think we are lucky here we are lucky here in the uk that we have quite a lot of those reserves available all across the country really
0: yeah so uh, you touch a couple different parts of the birding community through your work and through your hobby. Do you feel that you found uh, your place in the birding community?
1: Because um, I've moved around quite a lot, it's been quite hard. Um, like, uh, other, so actually I've just taken on, well, I've been co-opted as chair of our local bird group. Um, so hopefully, um, so like president of the local chair group, um, so hopefully around um, here, I can start making those connections because it is quite hard moving around a lot. But I think I'll be in this area for a while. So hopefully I can start to make those connections. But I live in a really rural area as well. So it is quite hard at the same time. But, um, you, know, village, you know, I've definitely made connections with um, like the birding community in that area. Well, that's great.
0: So what do you feel has been your most memorable bird or birding experience?
1: Okay. Um, Probably. OK, so I've got a few. Is that OK? Sure. <laughs> um, so my first one was probably uh, I went to Bass Rock, which is the largest um, northern Gannet colony in the UK. So that's kind of off Edinburgh, area in Scotland. And I went on a boat trip with one of my colleagues about four years ago now, and it was just absolutely mesmerizing like these thousands and thousands of gannets flying around obviously it's not just gannets you've got your ghillimocks and your razorbills and um you know kitty wakes and fulmers and you know the odd puffin flying around in the distance as well uh, but the gannets themselves were just amazing and the noise they were making and there was just thousands like flying over you on the boat You, i was lucky to not get pooped on definitely uh, it was so good though um and then another one i would say. There was a reserve in North Norfolk called Snettisham and um, that's an RSPB reserve. And um, I was actually on my way back from visiting a friend in Nottingham, which is like central um, in the UK. And I was on my way back to Norfolk. So I stopped by because there, there was this rare bird there. And for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember whether it was the Western Sandpiper or the Pectoral Sandpiper. It was one of those two. And I didn't see it, but it doesn't matter because it was kind of getting to sunset and thousands and thousands and thousands of like waders were coming in because it's the time of year where they were just starting to migrate back to the UK and there were just thousands of not coming in and I could just you could just hear them I suddenly heard this noise and it kind of sounded a bit like a football match um and there was this sort of pool behind where we were all standing on the, on the seafront and there's this pool and there's thousands of not just all gathered together like running around and like running around in circles and so how I was just absolutely Amazing. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I really want to go back because that wasn't the most, they call it um a Wader Spectacular. And this was like at the beginning of the season for the Wader Spectacular. So I didn't even experience the best of the Spectacular. So I definitely got to go back um next year because that was just amazing but the the sunset as well and the birds just coming over just in flocks of like thousands I can't I think they get like well over a hundred thousands just not and then they get all loads of other waders as well coming in so pretty impressive that's amazing I would love to see that (laughs) definitely definitely come to the UK there's lots of things to do here so what changes would you like to see in the birding community um I think I kind of touched on this a little bit. So say, you know, um, being, just being more open and less, I've seen 350 birds and, you know, um, I've been to this country and that country and seen all these birds and just being a bit more open. So it's a bit less scary for people that are starting out and, um, you know, made, trying to make it more diverse. And what a big thing, I guess, here in the UK it's it's not as big because the UK is quite a small country. Um it's something I've I'm kind of torn with because, um, yeah, so about like people ticking off birds and saying what they've seen and everything. Um, it's, it's kind of something that's I don't know if it's just UK based, but um, something called low carbon birding. So, you know, trying to um, there's something called your lo- like your local big patch and sort of seeing how many birds you can see in your 10 kilometer patch um you know making sure seeing if you can cycle and I think it needs to be you know it's it's really tricky because obviously we absolutely love birds and you just want to go see all the birds but at the same time you know you love you clearly love wildlife you clearly love the planet so it's like it's you're kind of torn between two minds you kind of you know want to re- help you know reduce your carbon offset um reduce your carbon and you know driving around the country at the same time there's all these amazing birds that you really want to see so it is really hard so I think it's really important to um you know try and consider that where possible whether you, you know could get a train instead or you know car share with someone or you know cycle instead or something like that and I think this local big patch idea is has been quite interesting this year on Twitter and seeing people what they've been seeing in in their local patch you know it kind of makes you focus more on what's in your surrounding area as well which I think since lockdown has had had a big um impact so I think that's definitely something that people should start thinking about a bit more but like I said it's really hard when you love wildlife and you kind of just want to go and see everything. I th- I think it was actually the
0: year before the pandemic um, somebody in my area started the whole five mile radius thing and so we hmm. I think it was maybe 2019 or right? It might have been during the pandemic. I can't remember. Uh, but that was something that kind of swept over a lot of my friends that I was seeing all over the U.S. were, were focusing on their five-mile radius and trying to, s- mm. you know, see what they could see within five miles of their house. And I think, um, you know, very much like your your 10-kilometer. Um, and people really found a lot of value in that because they birded places that they had never been before that are right near their mm, house yeah. because it forced them yeah. to do that. Yeah. So, what do you think has been the most valuable thing you've learned from birding? That's
1: quite a hard question. <laughs> I'm Trying to think about that one before. Um, sorry, I'm a bit stumped here.
0: <laughs> Try to think. Um, most folks have said patience is their number one thing.
1: Um. Yeah, no, that is quite, I'm not very patient. So that's my problem. (laughs) I will go. And if I don't see the bird within 10 minutes, I am quite impatient and I will leave. Um, Most valuable thing I've learned. Just being, I think also, I think it's made me more open and talk to different people that I maybe wouldn't talk to. So I'll go to a reserve and um, I start chatting to people. Whereas before, my birding experiences i probably wouldn't have done that if i'd gone to a reserve and just you know chatting to people seeing where they've come from and you know they might be someone that's just visiting a reserve for the first time or you know it's the first time ever visiting a reserve or first time ever bird watching so i think that's um yeah that's been quite valuable and as well like um I sort of doubt myself quite a lot. I have like a bit of imposter syndrome with birding. I think it's being a young woman birder has a bit of an impact on that. Um, So I do doubt myself quite often. So I think I need need to keep telling myself to stop doubting myself. And, you know, when I do talk to people, I kind of sometimes do know what I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, I think that's quite important for me to remember.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me for this uh, podcast. If everyone, if folks want to find out more about you and the cool things that you do, how would they do that?
1: Um, So you can follow me on Twitter. So um, Lottie Glover, so L-O-T-T-I-E-G-L-O-V-E-R 23. That is my Twitter handle.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope to get out to the UK sometime. Maybe, well, I'll be there in July for bird fair, but maybe I'll meet you some other time up there. Yeah, that'd be great. So thank you so much, Lottie, for joining me for this episode. Uh, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time, so it was really great to learn more about you and the cool things that you do. And thank you all for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so by following me at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you could email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on gobirdingpodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you at the next happy hour.